Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. So welcome everyone to our Wednesday night Bible study. As everybody knows, unless you're visiting, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount. And tonight we come to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Now these are the last words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Now we're not quite done. Uh, Matthew adds some commentary at the end of the sermon, which I think is important. So we will look at that next week, which will be our final uh, lesson. But tonight, again, we're going to look at the last words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And the title tonight is a long one, uh, The Role of Works in the Life of a uh, Believer. Now, last week, I want to lay some groundwork here. So it's going to take me a little bit of time to get to tonight's passage. But you'll see when I get there, there's a reason for it. Um, Last week, I I talked about the difference between religion and Christianity. Y'all remember that? Um, And one of the things I said was that religion always puts acceptance at the end. In other words, what religion will do is it'll tell you, you got to work, 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 work. And you got to be, you know, do do all these rituals and you got to give and you, maybe you got to fast and you got to do all these things. And they hold out acceptance like a carrot on a stick. That, and you hope that if you've done enough of those things and you've been faithful enough and sincere enough that you hope that uh, you'll be accepted by God. Now, the insidiousness of that is that according to Jesus, you're condemned already. If you don't believe in him, you're already condemned. So how, how horrible is that? Somebody spends their whole life working, 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 and they don't believe in Jesus, and the whole time they've been condemned. But religion puts the acceptance at the end. Christianity, on the other hand, puts acceptance at the beginning. Right? We are saved by grace. We are accepted by God, adopted into his family, accepted, uh, Ephesians 1.6 says, in the beloved. Now, how can that be? Why is it that Christianity accept us, accepts us at the beginning? And that is because salvation's only requirement is that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is it. And I'm going to tell you, folks, we need to get that down inside of us as deep as it can possibly go. I read a book this week, and the man said this, and I'm 100% agreement. He said, most Christians want to go on to deeper things when what we should be doing is going deeper into the gospel. Go deeper into the gospel. Get it down deep inside who you are in Christ. Acts 16, 30 to 31, the Philippian jailer, y'all know the story, I'm sure, asked uh, uh, Paul, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's it. Nothing else. No other conditions. And what we stressed so hard last week, and I'm going to honestly, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm going to be stressing this more <laughs> and more, and more, and more. I'm going to keep coming back to the gospel, and coming back to the gospel, and coming back to the gospel. But what we have to understand about the gospel 
is that works play no part in your salvation at all. None. Zero. God has taken that off the table. Romans eleven six says, If it's by grace, then it cannot be based on works. Because if it were, grace is no longer grace. It can't be 90% grace and 10% works. It can't even be 99% grace and 1% works. If you try to earn it at all by any stretch of the imagination, it's no longer grace. Okay? It plays no part at all. In fact, let me say this a different way. Works plays no part in your salvation at the beginning. Romans 4.3 says this, And the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. See, when we're saved, would you all agree we're ungodly? Right? We're, we need a Savior that saves us in our current state. And he does that. He does that. He does it by grace. But here's what most of us need to understand. Works play no part in your salvation at any time. That means from the day I was saved at 11 years old till all the way to now when I'm 60, works plays no part in my salvation. None. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2, uh, 3. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with flesh? That's a, or, or hearing with faith? That's the a rhetorical question. The answer is, well, we, we, we were born again by the Spirit. Watch what he says. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, do you think you're now being perfected by the flesh? Do you think on your own works you can make yourself more godly, a better person? You really think that's how it works? No. No, it's all a work of the Spirit. Sinclair Ferguson says this, The strength or the weakness of our grasp of justification by faith is directly related to our freedom and joy in Christ. If you think you have to do something to earn it or do something to keep it, you're going to go through your whole life struggling with assurance. You're just going to keep going around that mountain, and you're not going to be who you need to be. But if you can grasp that you are accepted, not because of anything you've done, just through grace. If you can get that down deep inside of us, you'll walk in freedom and you'll walk in joy. That's why he says we need to go deeper. Now, there's a beautiful picture of grace, and we're going to talk tonight about the prodigal son. There's a beautiful picture of grace in the Bible. And you all know the story, right? There's this young man, he's living at home with his, with his brother and his father, and he's tired of that life. He's tired of, he wants to travel the world. He wants to meet new people, experience new things. So he comes to his father and he said, Daddy, I want my inheritance now. Give it, give it to me. And so his dad says, okay, here it is. And so he leaves. He goes off into foreign countries and he, he you know, he's partying and he's getting drunk and, and, and doing all these things. The Bible calls it riotous living. And one day he runs out of money off in this foreign country. And, and he don't have any way to, to eat or anything like that. So he has to get a job working for a pig farmer. He's working for a pig farmer. And he says he's so hungry that he would look at the food they're giving to the pigs and think, man, that looks good. And it says he comes to himself and thinks, man, my father's servants are treated better than that. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And, and maybe, maybe he'll just let me be one of his servants. Listen to Luke 15. And he arose and came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do y'all see? Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Do you see the, 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 the tax collector in the temple? Father, have mercy on me. I, I got nothing. I, I'm not even worthy to even be here in front of you. I can't even look you in the eye. See, that's the attitude that he came. And watch what happened. The father said to his servants, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. No conditions, right? No conditions. He just put his arms around him and said, you're accepted. That's grace. That's grace. Unconditional love. Unconditional mercy. Unconditional acceptance. Now that brings us to a really big question that you and I have to wrestle with. What about works? Now that I'm accepted, now that I'm saved, now that I've been adopted into the family of God... What role does works play in my life? In fact, let's ask it another way. What part does my obedience to God's law or my good works play in my life now that I'm a believer? Okay? Now, let me tell you, there are three answers to this question, and two of them are flat out wrong. There's three answers. What role does works play in the life of a believer? Two of them are just flat out wrong. So I'm going to give you the two wrong ones first. The first one, it's a big word. It's called antinomianism. Anti means against, and nomo means law. So that word means against the law. So let me explain what this means through the parable of, of the uh, prodigal son. Let's say, let's go back to that prodigal son. His dad puts his arms around him and says, Son, you're accepted. I love you. Put a, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and that all goes good, man. And, and they have a big feast that night, and they all celebrate. And the next morning, the son gets up and says, Dad, you know, I really appreciate what you've done for me, but uh, I'm ready to head back out. Can I have some more money? I, I, you know, I, I, now that I'm back, I just see how boring all this life is. I'm ready to go back out and party. That's antinomianism. See, antinomianism is this belief that God expects no obedience to his commands. None. They would say, look, you're saved. You want to go out on Saturday night and get drunk in the bar and, and come to church on Sunday? Now, well, that doesn't change a thing. You, you want to sleep with your girlfriend and, 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 and live with them outside of marriage? Now, nah, go right ahead. That don't change a thing. That's antinomianism. Now, folks, we know that's not right. I'll give you a couple of scriptures, Romans 6, 1 and 2. Paul says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Let me, give it, let me say it to you another way. How can we who've been redeemed from the pig pen go back to it? How can we who've been welcomed and adopted out of the pig pen turn right around and go back to it? Paul said, are you crazy? <laughs> Nobody can do that. There's another one here, Romans 3, 28 to 31. Paul says, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works. That's grace. Now watch what he says. Do we then overthrow the law by the faith, by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So Paul's telling us right then, law has a place in your life. The commands of God have a place in your life. You can't just, now that you're saved and welcomed and adopted, you can't just say, well, I, I, don't, I don't really want to deal with any of that stuff. 
So that answer is wrong. So antinomianism comes in and says, you really ain't got to do nothing. Now, they might say, look, if you want to do it, you know, if you want to go to church and you want to try to be more holy and you try to, that's great, but you ain't got to do it. And that is wrong. That's, by the way, it's been considered a heresy for literally uh, uh, several hundred years. Now, by the way, does anybody hear that preach in churches today very much? I don't. In fact, I don't think you'll very often hear that preached in churches, but there is one place I hear it preached. Anybody want to guess where that is? I hear it preached at funerals. Now, that minister may not mean what he's saying, but when that man is sitting there and he's never darkened the door of a church, he's never lifted one finger to love Jesus or obey Jesus' commands, and you get up there and you preach him into heaven, you may not think you're preaching antinomianism, but that's what you're telling everybody in that building. That's what you're telling everybody in the building, that it don't matter. Are you with me? Here's the second one. This one's also wrong. It's called legalism. Let's go back to the the, uh, prodigal son, okay? Prodigal son comes home and his father comes out there and just loves him. Man, you're my son. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. Put feet, uh, 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 shoes on his feet. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's have a, a feast. They do all that. They all go to bed in the morning. The son wakes up. His dad comes in and says, son, um, listen, I've been thinking about this overnight, and maybe I was a little too hasty. Now, I, you're, you're welcome back as my son, but I, I see you got a little rebellion in you. I see you, you're prone to wonder, so I'm going to have to lay down some, some, some restrictions for you. I, I need you to, and he starts to lay down all these rules. And then what he says is, now look, if you keep all these rules, you can still be my son. But if you can't do this, I'm going to have to cut you loose. Folks, that's legalism. See, legalism is this belief that God, in order of us to maintain our salvation... That we somehow got to keep all these rules and regulations. That God says, look, you know, if you're, you're doing good now. But if you don't do all these things, I'm going to cut you loose. That's not my father. That's legalism. Paul wrote Galatians and Colossians to deal with this issue. Let me give you Galatians 5. He, listen to this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's how Paul sees it. When you're over here working, 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 I got to be good enough. I got to be better. I got to, I got to earn. I got to deserve. I got to merit. Paul says that's a yoke of slavery. He says this, if you accept circumcision, now let me explain. Some people came into that church where all these people are just living in the freedom of the gospel. And they said, now wait, you know, if you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be a, a child of Abraham, you need to get circumcised. We believe the gospel and all that, but if you, you really want to be a good Christian, you've got to be circumcised. Listen to what Paul said. Paul says, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul says, if you think that somehow you're going to be you're going to keep your salvation or earn your salvation or, or, or somehow by adding these laws and rules and regulations, Paul said, when you start doing that, keep in mind you better keep the whole law because you've abandoned Christ 
you've stepped away from Christ. In Colossians, it's a little bit different situation. They got people coming in saying, you got you to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. Listen to Paul says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and human teachings. Now watch this. These indeed have an appearance of will, wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value. Somebody comes in and says, you got to do, you really want to be holy, you got to do this. You really want to be holy, you got to do this. And by the way, those things sound good. They have an appearance of wisdom, but it's self-made religion. It has no value to make you any holier. Let me tell you something. I'm going to get to this in a minute. But not only do works play no part and you're earning and deserving in your salvation, you can't, earn, you, you can't do anything to, to make yourself holier. You can't do anything to sanctify yourself. That is a work of Jesus Christ. That is a work of spirit. That is a work of grace. It's not you. So Paul said it sounds good from the outside, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So this is legalism. Legalism says, yeah, you're accepted, but. <laughs> they add a but on there. But you have to do this and do this and do this. Do you guys understand that's just religion all over again because it takes the acceptance and moves it to the end? Because if it's on you to keep it going, then how do you ever know that you've done enough that you were faithful enough, that you were sincere. That's just religion all over again. And that is not... that. By the way, that is a system that is opposed to the gospel. That is a system that is opposed to the gospel. And that brings us to one more thing here. And let me just say this. We don't have as much trouble, I think, with antinomianism. But let me tell you, we have trouble with legalism. There's a legalism bone in every one of our bodies. There's a legalism bone in every one of our bodies. And I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at myself, that as teachers and preachers, we need to be very careful that not only when it comes to salvation that we don't point people away from Christ, but when it comes to holiness, we don't point people away from Christ. When it comes to sanctification, we don't point. And we make people think that you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. We need to be very careful of that in our teaching and preaching. So let's ask the question again. What part does obedience to God's law play in the life of the believer? Well, here's the answer. Your obedience is the fruit of your faith. It is the fruit of your faith. Let's go back to that. What's, what, if we go back to the parable of the prodigal son, he comes home, he's accepted, they have a big feast. What do you think the right response is the next morning when that young man rolls out of bed? Does he say, I want to go back to the pig pen? Does he say, man, you know, I got to, now that he's got me back, I got to toe the line or he's going to kick me out? Or does he get out and think, man, my dad is the best. <laughs> my dad is awesome. I can't believe that. I, I, I just want to live up to this. I, I, I just want to, I want to honor him. I, I just want, I, I want, I want to make him proud of me. That's the right response. 
See, when you truly understand who your heavenly father is, that he's not this stern taskmaster sitting over you saying, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got this. But he really is a loving heavenly father. That'll set you free. It will absolutely set you free. Now, Scripture, what it teaches us is that good works in the life of a believer are organic. Now, what I mean by that is that you don't have to make it up. It, it just comes out of you like, like, a, like a tree bears fruit or a vine bears grape. It's just a byproduct of your faith. John fifteen five. I am the vine, Jesus said, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. I, I don't know about you, but I love that analogy because a vine does nothing. It, all it does is it just hangs on. I'm, I'm sorry, the branch, it just hangs on to the vine. It's the vine that's providing all the nutrients and all the things. It's producing the fruit. It's doing all the work. The branch just sits there and just kind of looks, hey, look at all this stuff going on here, man. But that's the analogy. Abide in me. I told somebody the other day that had just gotten saved. And they said, and I said, look, don't, don't focus on do, do, do. Focus on him. Get up every day and just focus on the cross. Focus on Jesus. Just loving him. Just abide in him. I said, it'll, all the other stuff, it'll work itself out. Uh, Kyle said it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All them other things will be added to you. You ain't got to worry about it. Don't focus on the things, focus on Him. Romans six twenty two. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. By the way, that's salvation. Watch what he says. The fruit you get from that leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. It's just a byproduct of your salvation. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are light. Everybody see that? That's salvation. Walk. As children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Just let God produce the fruit in you. And that's what he wants to do. God himself wants to produce good works in us. He wants to produce fruit in us through his grace and through his spirit. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And then what does it say? We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, say it, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Titus 2.14, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, that's salvation. Now what's He going to do? He's going to purify for Himself a people zealous for good works. He's going to do that doesn't leave it up to me. He doesn't save me and say, now get on out there and do the best you can. No. He produces those things in me. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How do I abound in good works? By the grace that God gives me. That's his responsibility. He's the vine Feeding the branches. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God wants to fulfill the law in me through his spirit in me. I just got to let him do it. I just got to let him do it. Really, I just need to, if we could figure this out, and, I, and by the way, I'm like you. I'm still trying to figure a lot of it out because I want to get up every day and, okay, what do I need to do? I need to do more. <laughs> I got to go here. I got I to do this. And What if I just abided in him? What if I just believed what he said and let him and his grace and his spirit produce those things in me instead of trying to work them up by myself? What's our motivation Our motivation is to express thanksgiving and love as a response to God's grace and Christ's sacrifice. I want to leave. This is a long scripture, but it's one of my favorite scriptures. And I've been reading it a lot lately. I want you to listen to it. It's 2 Peter 1, 3 through 7. And I want you to understand, he's talking to Christians right here. Talking to Christians. Listen. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay. You could just sit on that for a week. His divine power has granted you everything you need for your life and and godliness. He's given it to you. Okay? Um, Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So he's saying here, God's given you everything you need. He's given you all these wonderful promises that you could stand on. Now Peter says this, for this reason, because you're saved, because you're born again, because you're indwelt by the Spirit, because your Father loves you, because He's given you all these promises, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, Christians, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now watch what he says. For whoever lacks these qualities, Christians... You're so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. That just, you see what he's saying? He's saying if you're out here and you're not adding these things, if you're not, you've literally forgotten who saved you. You've forgotten how he pulled you out of that pig pen and made something beautiful out of your life. Go back to that. Go back to who he is. Go back to what he's done for you. Recall the former things and then begin to move forward. Base it on your salvation. Base it on your relationship to Him. You can say it a lot simpler. 1 John 4.19 says it this way. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved me. Or, Or Paul says it another way. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've already received. Walk. Walk. In, in, in the in, in practice, walk in the light, walk worthy of the calling. So I put this up last week. I said this, I work not to be accepted. I work because I'm already accepted. 
I work because I love him, and I love what he did for me, and I want to honor him, and I'm thankful to him. That's why we work. That's why we work. Now, I said all of that to come to the last words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason I did it is because his last sermon, I mean, his last words deal with our works. Okay? Let's read what he says, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Everyone then, this is the last thing he's going to say in the Sermon on the Mount, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, this is a parable, okay? Jesus doesn't call it a parable. Matthew doesn't call it a parable, but it's a parable. And for those of you that know anything about parables, a parable is just a short story that illustrates a truth, and basically it draws a picture for us, if you will. Now, it's interesting, this same parable is told in Luke chapter 6 in a second sermon that Jesus uh, preaches, and we know it as the Sermon on the Plain. Okay, now why do we call it the Sermon on the Plain? Well, you remember the first line of Matthew 5, 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain. That's the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke 6, it's a different sermon. It says he came down from the mountain and he stood on a level place. So one sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount, the other one we call the Sermon on the Plain. By the way, it's the same sermon preached at different times in different places. I think sometimes we think, well, Jesus just, you know, he he loaded his gun and shot all his bullets in one sermon, and that was it. But that makes no sense, right? He ministered for three years. He traveled around the country. He was an itinerant preacher. He probably preached this sermon many times in different locations. And by the way, anybody that's ever preached a sermon multiple times knows that sometimes you change it up, right? You might use a different illustration. You're, you word it a little bit different. So, so we do see differences between these sermons, but it's just because he taught them at a different time. But I want to show you the words from that sermon. It's Luke chapter 6. He says this, same thing. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, let me give you some context real quick. Immediately... In front of these words, Jesus is dealing with false believers. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In Luke chapter 6, 46, right before the the parable, he says this, Why do you call me Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? So it's obvious in both of these parables that from the preceding statement, that he's still dealing with false believers. He's still believing with people who do not do what Jesus tells them to uh, do. 
So I'm going to take just a few minutes, maybe about five minutes, and I want to look at this parable very quickly. And the difference in the parable, by the way, is the two builders. Okay? We're going to make some, we're going to infer a couple things tonight, but it's obvious that the difference in this parable is the two men. Okay? So let's look at the similarities between them. So you got two guys, and they both have the same desire, right? They want to build a house. Everybody wants to have a nice home where they can invite people over and, and, and you know, have uh, dinner parties or a place where their children can come home and, and, and feel. Everybody wants to have a home, right? It's, it's a desire that everybody wants to have. So these, both of these guys want the same thing. So they have the same desire. I also think it's very safe to infer that they're building in the same location, now, I've, I read a couple of commentaries, and one guy said, well, one guy's building down by the beach, and the other guy's building up on the mountain or on a hill. Well, that makes no sense, because that would defeat the purpose of the parable. Are you with me? The difference isn't that one uh, was on a location that, that, that wasn't uh, prone to flooding. They're at the same place. In fact, look at Luke 6, what it says. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. In other words, he dug through the sand, through the soil, down to the rock where the other man just put it right on top of the ground. So I think it's very safe to infer that not only do they have the same desire, they're building at the same location. I also think it's safe to infer that they're building the same house. It's not like one house is a two-story and the other is a one-story. It's not like one house had a metal roof and the other one had... Shingles. It's not like one is a mansion and the other is a little log cabin. No, that's not the point. The point is not the house. The houses are the same. So you can picture, if you will, two houses side by side. Same, same blueprint, same, uh, same siding, same, same roof. Everything's the same about these two houses. And it's also, by the way, the same storm. It's not like one of them endures a Cat 1 hurricane and the other one endures a cat five. No, it's the same storm. Are you with me? Same desire, same house, same location, same storm. Those are all the similarities. So what's the difference? The difference is the two men. Jesus said one is a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the other is a foolish man who built his house on the sand. I looked up uh, in the Bible, I just did a, a, a quick word search on fools and foolish, and I, and I found a few characteristics from Scripture on a foolish man. The first thing about a foolish man is he's proud, right? He thinks, man, I don't, ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I know best. Are you with me? I, I, I know you guys think you ought to do it that way, but I know how to best do it. Another thing about the fools is they're hasty. They want to get it done fast. They'll take shortcuts. They're not, they're not in it for the long term. They want to get it done, and they want it now. Got a lot of foolish people running around in this country right now. They want it right now. And they're short-sighted. They don't look down the line and think, man, you know, what, what about 10 years from now? What about 20 years from now? What about 50 years from now? And they're, they're just short-sighted. They only see now. And, of course, that leads them to make reckless and unwise or, or foolish decisions, Proverbs fourteen sixteen. By the way, the wise man is the exact opposite. He's humble. He knows he don't know it all. 
I, you know, I, I, I need, I'm going to go ask a few guys that's built houses before. Maybe they'll tell me what to do. Okay? I, he, he knows he doesn't know it all, so he listens. He's patient. He doesn't have to have it right now. He, he wants to do it right for the long term. He's farsighted. He looks down the line. He knows that he lives in Palestine. He lives in a land that is arid. And when it, when it rains, I mean, these, these gullies become floods. He knows that. So he prepares for it. And he makes wise decisions. Now, real quickly, I want to just... And, and parables, by the way, and, and Pastor Henry will tell you this. You can't look at a parable, and it's not that every detail equates to some spiritual truth, right? He's just... But I think here there are three things that we can know. First of all... What is the rock? Listen, there is not a person there on that day when he says, build on the rock, that he doesn't know who they're talking about. The Old Testament is full, and I mean full. I just just ran out of room. They refer to God all the time, the rock, the rock, the rock, the rock. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. So, so there's not a person there who doesn't know he's talking about the rock. We also know, by the way, watch what Jesus said, and don't miss this. He says, then everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a person who builds his life on the rock. He's basically saying, if you do what I say, you're building your life on God. You're building your house on God. I mean, that, that can't not have just gone by them. They had to see the significance of that. Of course, we know 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul says this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the rock in our parable, of course, is Jesus. One more, Romans 9, they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it by works. Talking about the Jews, they stumbled over the stumbling stone just as it is written. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So the rock is Jesus. What is the house? Well, the house is, listen, the house is your every thought, your every word, your every deed. It's your marriage. It's how you raise your children. It's how you conduct your career. It's how you handle your money. It's, it's, uh, it's how you treat other people. In, in other words, those are just building blocks and, and slowly and surely, a life rises up, doesn't it? A life rises up. And the question is, am I building my life according to the wisdom of the world? Am I doing it my way? Am I not listening to the Word of God? Am I not listening to people who know more than I do? Am I not heeding His promises? Am I not heeding His warnings? Or am I building my life on the rock, Jesus Christ? Am I building it according to his commands? What does he say about money? What does he say about marriage? What does he say about parenting? You're doing one or the other. You're doing all those things according to the way the world says do it, or you're doing it the way Jesus said do it. And he said, if you'll listen to me and do it the way I say do it, you're building your house on a rock. And when the storms come, when the storms come, and that's the last one, what is the storm? It's interesting that Jesus doesn't spell it out. He left his listeners on that day to figure it out for themselves, and he leaves it for us to figure out. I guess for him, it was sufficient to just warn us that there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming into every life. 
By the way, I think it can mean two things. First of all, it can certainly talk about the testing and the trials and the tribulation that comes into our life. First Peter 1 says this, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let me read that again, because I just love that. Who by God's power are being what? Who's guarding me? Who, who, who's got his arms around me? Who's watching me? God. God. Now watch this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he's saying that sometimes testing, if necessary, God will allow it in your life. And the whole point of it, it's a storm. And it beats against your life. And it, 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 the wind hammers you and the rains fall, but you don't move. You don't move because you're grounded on Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of people, when those storms came, if they're not grounded on Jesus Christ, they're gone. They're gone. Those storms of life will test your faith to see whether it is real. And, of course, we know also that he's talking about the final judgment. We will all stand before him one day. And did we build our house on him? Did we know him? Did we obey him? If the answer is, yes, I did all that, then you will not fall. I mean, you, you're, you're, you're good. But for those who didn't, the Bible says there will be wrath and there'll be fury. I close with this. I can't help thinking, when you read that parable, parable, can you not help thinking, what kind of idiot would build a house in a land that he knows storms are coming, right? I mean, it's like us. We know a hurricane's coming. Has everybody got that? May not be next month, may not be next year, may not be five, but there's one coming, right? Because we, well, it's the same way in Palestine. Storms come. Gullies become raging rivers. What, what kind of idiot would do that? What kind of idiot would build it right on top of the ground when you know the storm is coming? It's the same kind of fool who builds their life and doesn't prepare for a death and a judgment that they know is coming. They know it's coming. You're going to die. You're going to stand before God. And yet we go through life where people go through life and build their life and they just build it on the sand. They don't build it on the rock. Here's what I want you to see. When that man finished his house, in his mind, he had succeeded. By the way, if you picture two men building a house, the one guy gets done. I mean, he's already having dinner parties. He's already inviting people over. He's already putting up Christmas decorations, and that guy's still digging. In his mind, he's thinking, man, that guy's a fool. That guy's, a, that guy's an idiot. Why would he do that? Look at me. And, and by the way, even after both houses are built and they look the same, he probably looks over there and thinks, man, why did you take all that time and effort? Our houses are exactly the same. You see, every people out there today are building their life and they look at a Christian and they say, that's the dumbest thing. I, I'm, I'm making more money than him. I got a nicer house than him. I drive a better car than him. What's he, what's he wasting his time with all that for? Are you with me? 
You see, the fact is, though, he had made a fundamental error. He omitted something on which his destiny would depend. The one thing that really mattered in life, he had missed first base. He'd missed first base. He'd not done the one thing that really mattered. And what Jesus is saying to us tonight, we've been here for over a year going through the Sermon on the Mount. A year. And we've heard his commands over and over and over again. And what Jesus wants us to understand, that it's not enough to come to Bible study and just hear the commands. It's not enough just to say, wow, that was good. And then go back out and not do what he tells you to do. If you're doing that, if that's your life, if that's what you're doing, if you enjoy the, the community of the church, the camaraderie of the church, the fellowship of the church, you enjoy good presentations and good, good preaching and good singing and all that, that's all great. But if you walk out that door and you don't do what Jesus tells you to do, Jesus says you're a fool. You're a fool. You are deceiving yourself. First John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God. Do you love God? Then we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Let's pray. Father, we thank You as we always do for Your Word. We thank You for this incredible study that's brought us to this point. God, for uh, one more week, but God, all of the commands that we've heard for the year, all of these things, and we know, God, we talked about it, we're not perfect. We'll never be perfect. That's why we need a Savior. But God, we want to be like our daddy. We want to be like our father. We want to be like our big brother. We, we want to be like you. We want to walk like you and talk like you and act like you and think like you and just be like you as much as we possibly can. God, help us as your children to rest in that. Help us to to know and understand the gospel and see you not as a stern taskmaster, but as a father who loves us. God, if we do that, that changes everything. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. uh, Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrawfordville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.